I've got five children, and I am bursting with pride for all of them. But having said that, when I say children, they have all, of course, grown up to the point of not really being children anymore. But today, I want to send a message to just one of them, to Faith, who has left us to go and live in Norway and study there for a year. So, Faith, here's a little message for you. Ja, ills g'day. I hope that comes out the way it's supposed to be. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because this episode is the first story-based episode and it's special for Faith for a few reasons, one of which being that she actually wrote the story. Hello, welcome to episode four of the Malted Muse podcast. Today, it's going to be focused around a special whiskey. That whiskey is Tullabarden, and I shall say a little bit about that distillery. And then shortly after that, I shall be telling a story. And it's the story written by my daughter Faith. The story is called The Lone Knight, and it's a story for Tullibarden. 1992. The 1992 is a special year because it is the year that she was born in. And um, it's a practice in my family that to buy bottles of whiskey of the vintage of the year of which our children are born and keep them, them for them. Um, and this is one of the bottles that we have for faith and it's not opened yet. So what does this whiskey taste like? because um, I've not opened it. Well, fortunately, I did have some 1992, so I shall, I shall compare it to that. Um, Tully Barden Distillery, it's a southern part of the Highland area of, of Scotland, and it's a distillery that has been opened and closed and reopened again, and is something, because of that, I, I'm not particularly happy about, and I will explain what I mean by that. And that is, I'm just checking my notes here, 2001, I bought a, well, I was going to say I bought a bottle of Tully Barden. I actually, I think my memory's right, I bought six bottles of Tully Barden 10-year-old. Then they cost me £11 per bottle, and I got them from the co-op supermarket. And the reason I bought them was because they were on offer. And the reason they were on offer was because in 1995, I've written down, but actually I think it was 1994, December 1994, so I wasn't far off, it um, was mothballed. In fact, it actually then closed in, in January 1995. Um, the co-op of bought a, a, a stock of them and then were getting rid of them. So I took the opportunity, bought a load of them, um, some of them I drank, some of them I gave away as presents. And, and then, let me check my notes again, on Friday the 23rd of May 2008, I went to a special Tully Barden whiskey tasting um, with a talk given by John Black, who is the Tully Barden distillery manager. Fascinating man. Absolutely fascinating. Um, born at Cardew Distillery, 1942. Hope he doesn't mind me giving away his, day, his year of birth. Um, 
and he seems to have either lived in or very close to distilleries all of his life. On his 66th birthday, the Tully Barden distillery produced two blended malts. One was um, a peated blended malt, the only peated Tully Barden, and the other one was an eight-year-old whiskey, which they then called John Black. Now, the reason it sort of grinds me a little bit is during his talk, Mr Black explained that when the distillery reopened, the entry-level 10-year-old whiskey um, was from that point onward going to be put into clear glass bottles. And if anybody had any of the green glass bottles, keep hold of them because in time they become collector's items. And uh, yes, the ones that I bought from the co-op were all green glass bottles and they've all gone. Although I have to say I did enjoy them. I'm just looking back on my notes that here for that. The green bottle 10-year-old, it was a lovely looking whiskey. The yellow of rich sand and legs that just seemed to stand still. A gentle, delicate nose with a semblance of tea. Earthy, but not peat. Full mouthful, but whilst this lasts, the aftertaste is subtle and somewhat hazelnutty. Um, and to be honest with you, I can actually remember tasting it. It was very nice. Now the 1992 that I tasted in 2008 was um, 46% ABV, mid-toned with very close but slow legs, very pleasant and full nose, almost like a pot puri. Tasted fuller than the 1993, but there's a slight must on the aftertaste, a slight spice, a, a, aspects of nutmeg and cinnamon. Um, it was a, it, yeah, it was a lovely whiskey. In fact, most of the Tully Bardens, if not all of them, were very, were very, very nice. Actually, 1964, let's turn the page, 1964, bottled in 2004, um, very gentle on the nose, very clear palate, exceptionally smooth and easy to drink. The 1964 Tully Barden. If you want a nice, smooth, lovely dram, one that is completely unoffensive, still packing a lot of flavour, um, but one to truly just relax with, totally recommend it if you can get hold of one. Um, the only criticism I have for my own personal palate, I found it a bit too mellow. Um, sometimes you don't want to wear silk all the time. Sometimes you like the rough feel of a dry towel. I'm a bit of a dry towel man. The 1964 was definitely a silk. So Tully Barden Distillery, that's a little bit about it. You can find more about it. They have their website it's a it's a whiskey to to certainly to, to try and as this is the first story based episode I'll very quickly explain what this is to do with what i'm trying to do here is find stories that match the whiskey's character now i was listening to another podcast the other day called scotchcast um it was an old episode called the luck of the irish and during that episode, they tasted a Connemara, peated Irish whiskey. And as soon as they smelt it, 
they went into raptures of how wonderful it was and talked about this was autumn in the bottle, this was collecting hay, this is strolling through woodlands, and all these sort of lovely words were coming out about them for uh, about this wonderful whiskey. And what was happening to them was the whiskey was transporting them to somewhere other than where they were. The other thing is, is I've noticed when I when I write my whiskey notes that I will start off saying things like um, there's a hint of peat, um, it's a dry whiskey, I can pick up vanilla, and these are very factual type things, very descriptive things. As time goes by, especially when I've had a few drams, that can change. Um, they, I then start saying things like uh, it's a cheeky whiskey, or it's a bold whiskey, it's in your face, it's up front, it's a shy whiskey. I start putting different sort of attributes to them. Um, and that got me thinking that in many ways, whiskies really do have characters. And what I've started now trying to do is find stories that match those characters. So the idea being is that you can sit back, glass of whiskey in your hand, take a sip, listen to the story, and that the story will, in some way or other, match up to that whiskey. Um, hopefully that will give you an enjoyable time, but also, hopefully, it'll help people find a different approach to whiskey. See, I do have a slight problem with tasting notes and with rating whiskey. I am a strong believer in doing them. I've been doing tasting notes for myself for about 12 years now I suppose and I have found it's actually helped me to appreciate whiskey more and when I'm with other people and they're doing their tasting notes and we share our tasting notes it's made me want to go out and see if I can find some of the flavors or the aromas that they're picking up as well and it's it's stretched the way that I then look at a particular whiskey so in those respects it's good but I've also had experiences when somebody has said, oh, yes, it's got this, or it's got that, and you haven't picked it up. And in the early stages, that can, it can diminish your level of, of confidence and what you can taste. And then what then can happen as well is that people then put a value judgment onto it. And that can put other people off trying that whiskey. You know, somebody could say, not one of my favorite whiskies um i would prefer this one or that one which is fine nothing wrong with people saying that but you must have the confidence not to fall into the trap of thinking oh well they said that one wasn't any good then so therefore i won't bother trying it try it i see i personally actually like a bad whiskey or what I think is a bad whiskey, I will quite happily taste a whiskey and not enjoy it and think to myself, yeah, that's good, that's the spectrum. That is an end of the scale there that I don't appreciate and that makes me realise there's another end of the scale which is going to be absolutely fantastic. It's To me it's important to keep that whole range and the thing that I don't like, I am so aware that there will be other people that do like that particular whiskey or there's things that you can do with that particular whiskey i mean there are whiskies for example that maybe aren't so nice by themselves but actually do lend themselves to be mixed with something 
or are good for blending with other things. Episode two, I tasted the teachers and said I, will, I was going to go off and taste an Ardmore afterwards. And you know something, I the Ardmore is a nice whiskey, it's a good whiskey, but I can understand why it goes for blending. It needed something else added to it for my own particular palate. It wasn't not enjoyable, I enjoyed it very much, but there are other whiskies that develop it and push it even further. Am I saying that Ardmore then is a rubbish whisky? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is how it responds to my own personal profile. It's only over the last few years that I've started to truly appreciate bourbon, American whiskies. There was a time I, I just really didn't like them. And I've had to mature my palate and experiment and now I actually really like them and I don't like the idea that if I had said to myself years ago oh bourbon horrible um don't like it I wouldn't have gone back to revisit it and try it I'd have thought no that that's not good and I'd have been wrong because it is good and you know something Ardmore is good please try it and Tullibarden is also good Tully Barden is so good that I bought a 1992 vintage Tully Barden to put down for one of my children, my daughter, to have whenever she wants, now that she's come of age. Got some other ones as well, and one of those we have opened, and that was a Cragganmore. That was fantastic. Anyway, I think enough for this now. Um... And I'll move on to the story, The Lone Knight. Deep in the hills of Scotland, near the village of Blackford, was a victorious battle. A brutal battle, a bloody and courageous battle. A lone knight lay wounded on the ground, surrounded by woodland tainted with the blood of the dead and the cries of the dying. The lone knight's shouts were not answered. His painful groans got no reply. As night fell, he slipped into a restless sleep. He dreamt of rain, but when he woke, the earth was dry. As the sun rose, so did the lone knight. He crawled and crawled, but he couldn't feel his painful wounds any more. He only felt a roaring burn in his throat, an incredible thirst. His tongue felt as dry as the soil. The lone knight crawled all day in search of water. He crawled up onto the hill of Death No, and he saw some villagers, but his shouts were lost somewhere upon their path, and the villagers could not hear him. Night came again, and once again the lone knight dreamt of heavy rainfall, which made his thirst even more unbearable. When he woke, he was so weak he could not move. He lay on the ground, his agonizing thirst searing his throat. As dusk came, the lone knight started to have visions. He dreamt whilst he was still awake. In times now, we know with our science and knowledge, we would say that these visions were a symptom of his physical state, but in those dark times, such envisions would most certainly be the work of witches, spells and evil. The lone knight saw a woman, 
dressed in a dark blue robe. She was soaking wet, and once again he realised he could see and hear the rain, but he could not feel the water. He could not replenish his dry, cracking skin. He could not see her mouth move, but he could hear her singing in a calm, bell-like voice. Follow me, brave knight, to where the water dwells. It is close, but out of sight, tasting so pure and light, but be warned of the hidden horrors it has to tell. The lone knight found strength, dragging himself upon the rocks where the lady stood. He reached the rocks, but she had gone. He could no longer see the rain, but he could hear the trickling of a spring. As he looked below, he saw the crystal clear water in the spring, and if he had the strength, he would have cried with joy when he realised that he could feel it too. The lone knight drank from the spring until he fell into a comfortable sleep. He woke feeling refreshed, and he took another drink before he headed in search of his friends. He had never tasted water so pure. By the time dusk had come, the lone knight reached camp. His fellow fighters were overjoyed to see that he had survived. He sat with them around the fire and prepared to enjoy a momentous feast. I wish I could say that this is where the story ended, but I have to tell the truth. This story has no happy ending, or maybe it does. He ate bread, chicken, and gorged himself with duck and other such treats, and then he brought some fine wine to his lips. The red liquid touched his tongue, and it felt thick. The taste was strange. He spat it back into his cup, and he realised that it was no longer wine. It was thick red blood. With disgust, he threw the cup onto the floor, and he ordered that some, someone bring him some ale. He knocked the ale back to take away the foul, bloody remains in his mouth, but he could not swallow. With a sudden cough, he realised that this ale had turned to thick smoke, and as it escaped from his mouth, he was sick. His friends were disturbed and immediately fetched him water, but instead of quenching his mouth, the fluid turned into hot ash and burnt his flesh. He screamed in pain and ran from the camp in fear and confusion. He wandered until the early hours, until his legs gave way. He slept uncomfortably, waking repeatedly, and he saw the woman in the rain, though he could not tell if she was really there or if he was dreaming her. But she sang to him the same thing again and again. The spring so crystal clear has hidden horrors that I warned. I tell you, night, my dear, you will be forever scorned. Ale and wine and all other will never taste the same. You can only drink from the spring until your dying day. The lone knight tried to ignore his dreams. He continued to try and drink from elsewhere in the hope that it would replenish his thirst. But each time the liquids touched his mouth, they would transform into something ghastly and dry, like ash, soil, or even spice. The knight dreamed of the taste of the water from the spring, and finally he could wait no longer. 
he walked into the valleys and took a drink. Instantly he felt refreshed, but what could he do? The night found that he could not stray far from Blackford. The army left without him, and each day he walked to the spring to drink. The villagers thought he was mad, and although he had lived a healthy life, walking the hills of Scotland every day to drink from the spring, he was sad. Never again could he see his family, leave the small village, or even fight. The lone night stayed lonely forevermore. Well, thank you for that story, Faith. I can remember talking to Faith about stories and saying, I don't want all my stories that I attach to whiskey to have sad endings, because some of them will. And she wrote this story for me and gave it to me and said, I know you didn't want a sad ending, Dad, but it's what I felt was right. Well, I'm not too sure how sad the ending really is. Um, because there are little bits to this that I can identify myself. I, I was reminded of stealing one of my brother's science fiction books when I was a child and reading it. And I think it was an Arthur C. Clarke story. And from a book called The Tales from the White Heart. I may be wrong on that. And the story in there was about somebody who had written the most perfect piece of music. But once he'd listened to it, all he did was just sit there listening to the music in a trance. And it opened the question of, if you heard something so beautiful that you were completely entranced in it, would you be something of sadness or something of joy maybe having found something so perfect would be a cause to rejoice not of sorrow maybe the lone knight having actually found the beautiful spring should be happy of that beautiful spring you know maybe he should share it with others I don't know it's worth thinking about and I can identify it as well because I used to really like wine when I was much younger and I read about wine and studied wine and I enjoyed wine and then as time went by wine just didn't seem to appeal to me so much anymore and instead I actually discovered whiskey and my passion for whiskey was far stronger than it had ever been for wine um, and there's other drinks I enjoy in fact I enjoy most drinks to a degree See, I really like vodka, and I really like beer, but there's something about whiskey that is more than just the like. See, vodka can take me places by association. My favourite vodka is Green Mark, Zeloni Marker, I think you, you say it in Russian, and I really like it, and it takes me to St. Petersburg, because that is where I first tasted it. And it's that association that takes me there. Whereas whiskey, it's the actual flavour that takes me there. It's, it's some magical quality about whiskey that just takes you somewhere. It is so much fuller, not just in the flavour, but in the whole experience, within the feel of it, the smell of it, the taste of it. Um, it's wonderful stuff, and as I often say, it is a drink, but it's so much more than a drink. 
and if that spring had been the Taliban distillery, if it had been whiskey itself, maybe it wouldn't have been such a sad thing. Um, anyway, thank you, Faith. Thank you so much for providing us the first story. Um, there are going to be others. Some of them will be traditional. Some of them won't be. There will all be adaptations and there will be more on the website, themortedmuse.com. If anybody has any comments, queries, questions, um, suggestions or, or just want to make contact with me, that would be great. My email is jim at themortedmuse.com. Thank you very much for downloading this episode and I hope you'll listen to the next episode. Goodbye. And just for faith, harder. Thank you.